Welcome to Corporate Caffeine. I'm Dacia Coffee. As a chief marketing officer, speaker, author, copywriter, and three-time entrepreneur, I've learned a thing or two about influence and impact in the business world. So I want to share with you what I've learned about how to be heard, be seen, and be successful, and introduce you to the people I've met along the way who learned how to unlock their potential. Welcome to Corporate Caffeine. On today's episode, we welcome Brent O'Bannon. Brent is a master certified coach for entrepreneurial leaders and teams, and he was literally the first Gallup certified strength coach. Not only that, in the earlier part of his career, he was a professional counselor and a professor of psychology. Needless to say, Brent really knows how people tick. And thus, his work helps people reach the highest pinnacles of their personal and professional potential. Talk about corporate caffeine. Brent is high energy. He's an internationally renowned speaker, has written four books, and he is a personal friend of ours. This is a ridiculously fun conversation. Let's go ahead and dive in. Brent O'Bannon, thank you so much for joining us on Corporate Caffeine. I have been so excited to reconnect with you and have you come in today. So welcome. Wow. I, I didn't know I was going to be in this incredible uh, studio and environment, but it's amazing to be here. Uh, thank you. Thank you. And, I, I, you know, it's funny because um, I need to go ahead and get this out of the way that I like to refer to Brent as numero uno, since you are the first <laughs> ever Gallup certified strengths mm. coach. So <laughs> that's my nickname for you is numero uno. It makes me kind of nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Well, when it comes to experience, I think he's got that one down. I'm like, oh boy, it's not a rookie at this. Can't just skate by. No, exactly. So um, for those, there's not a lot of people out there that don't know what the Gallup Strength Finder is, but for those that don't know, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So most of us, when people ask us, what are strengths? You know, what are our own strengths? Most of us immediately think of our weaknesses. And it's hard for us to have a language to name what we're good at. Now, we may come up with maybe two. If I was to ask you, what was your strength on the street? Somebody might say, oh, I'm a good people person. Or, you know, I I solve problems really well. And when I was introduced to the assessment called StrengthsFinder 2.0 by a business coach in my business mastermind, it was like when I took the assessment, I learned that there were 34 different talents and strengths. And each one of those gave you very specific nuances of what is your genius, what are you, what your potential genius is for each of those. And so Clifton Strengths, what is now rebranded after Donald Clifton, who invented it from Gallup, is it's an assessment that is very research-based, has a lot of data, over 26 million people have taken it around the world in multiple languages, 20-plus languages, and it is the number one all-time best-selling book, business book on Amazon, Strengths 2.0. Wow. I did not know that. I did not either. Wow. But that assessment, which takes roughly 30 minutes, is going to give you a printout of either your top five strengths or you can get your full 34. 
and understand the rank order of all 34. And so it is a common language that you can begin to use with your work team, uh, with your family, with your clients. It's a common language to refer to your talent and strength potential. So I want to dive more deeply into that. But I think before we go there, just to give people context about you, one of my favorite things about being around you is obviously, you know, strength certified master coach, but you really are, your mastery is really about people's potential, Hmm. like about what they're capable of and helping them step deeper into that, which I think is so exciting. And not only that, and Kyle, you may or may not know this about Brent. He's a professional counselor. Like his, the first part of his year or his career was um, as a counselor. So it's, now he's really going to be scared. I know. Oh. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we, we don't always tell Kyle all the things. Like oh, I don't like to know about him. By the way, I, I don't do any research. Well, I've I've met you before. I know a little bit about your about your background, what you've done. But I like to like ask the questions that normal average Joe is going to ask, mm-hmm. walking up to you on the street. Like, what's the number one characteristic you find in most people? That type of thing. Right. And what is it, by the way? I've been sitting here thinking that. The number one characteristic about people? Yeah, out of the 34. What's the number one thing that usually Mm. will stand out or comes up often? Yeah, is there a most common strength? That's an interesting question. And and that is the number one uh, most frequent strength out of all 34 in all of the population around the world in males and females, is achiever. Really? Achiever. So people with achiever, they have this drive to start a task, finish a task. So, you know, maybe a good question is, you know, why is achiever so prominent with with people. Well, and I would have thought, okay, maybe in the US, but you mm-hmm. just clarified around the world. That is so interesting because it does make me wonder is there something inherent about humanity and about what we want to do and accomplish and achieve and, you know, fulfill in our lifetimes. That is interesting. Now, one quick caveat, when you look at the top strengths from different countries, yeah. Now, there is a different rank order. Yeah. So, yeah. for example, in Japan, maximizers number one. Huh. Really efficient. Yes. Okay. Um, and I, I don't have a good enough memory to remember all the nations, but you know, for example, I think it's China that has harmony is like number one. You're kidding. I could be wrong on yeah. that, one, but yeah. harmony and one of the Honey. the nations. So, but achiever out of, when you look at all the total population that over the 20, you know, six, seven million now that have taken it, achiever is number one. Do you think it has something to do with competition? How you would look at having to go achieve something deep down inside, you're competing, whether it was against your peers when you were younger, um, acceptance from your parents where you need to go achieve something um, that just creates that drive. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind. I don't even know if there's an answer to that. But the first thing that comes to my mind on that, Kyle, is you know, competition is is rarer, and that is one of the thirty-four competitions. Oh, it is. It's totally separate and different than achiever. Okay. So 
and I have both. I have achiever and competition in my top five. Oh wow! So <laughs> there is definitely a distinction, you know, to me. Yeah. So I don't know. Let me ask you, Daisy. Why yeah. do you think achiever is so high? I don't. I, I do think maybe it's that we we do want to put our stamp on something that you know. I I do think people hearken after wanting to accomplish or wanting to make a difference. You know, I mean, I, I personally would guess a total guess that maybe it goes back to that question that all of us eventually come to what's it all about? Why was I born? Why am I here? Why am I, you know, am I special? You know, was I supposed to do something? What's my calling? Like whatever semantics or phrasing you wrap around that, it's still that same desire and, I think that is a unifying thing that every single person born on this planet seems to need to validate that we were created intentionally and that we each have a purpose. So I, and so I recognize that that might be a weird leap from purpose to achiever, but I don't know because it does, for me that still has to do with like your output, like what you're trying to accomplish, like it's progress. It's, you know, trying to move things forward. And so that's where I go. But I also have a tendency to always go there with answers. <laughs> so, so I'm going to piggyback <laughs> off of that if it's okay. Maybe I didn't think this one out all the way. Hold on one second. Okay. Maybe it's um, the acceptance of how you're viewed amongst your peers mm. of why you want to achieve. Oh, that's a good one too. Yeah, I can see that. Because deep down inside, we do look at that. Oh, yeah. Everyone. Meaning we oh, want yeah. to be seen and accepted by others. Others a certain way, an and that's what strives us to achieve. Got it. Yeah, I can okay, see that. I'll retract that. <laughs> Kyle's going to come up with five and, more yeah, answers yeah, before no, the right, end of right, this right, Okay. I love yeah, it. I love <laughs> it. You know, so this is why I'm fascinated with human development and mm. humans as a species is, you know, my background is psychology and I was a, a minister before being wow. in psychology and now here I am a, a professional coach. So there's so many different reasons. It's complex. So I'm just going to give a couple of possibilities from my point of view. Yeah. So number one is, I think, you know, if you think about it from the Garden of Eden, when God put us into the garden, Adam and Eve, and he said, be fruitful and multiply to work the garden. So there is this innate tendency that, that God put in us to, to grow, to multiply, to produce. And so achievers are producers. They get things done. They're like farmers. Wow. They yes. plant seeds and they they water and they see the harvest grow and and then as soon as the harvest is done, they don't even celebrate very much. Yeah. Because they're like on. what's next? What's yeah. next? So I think that's one reason that it's innate in human beings to be productive. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a lot better answer than that. <laughs> For sure. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I'll go with that. Drop the mic. <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> I but I am going to say, I, I think my second hunch is why Achiever is so high is building off of what Kyle said. And that is we... We want to be seen as productive mm. from society. Yeah. 
And so that means there's something in us that compares ourselves to others. Am I getting up the corporate ladder? And there may be a competitive element when, because with competition, there is a comparison thing that goes on naturally with people with competition because they, they see, oh, that person's really good at that. You know, can I beat them? Can I actually outperform them in that particular area? And so, so I do think our culture, and I do think in the American culture, I'm, I'm reading a new book right now. It's called, it's called The Hypomanic Edge. I've never even yeah, heard yeah. that word. What? what does that mean? The whole concept is that this was a psychologist that researched entrepreneurs. And in his research, he found that they had hypomania. And hypomania is different than mania, like in bipolar disorder. Sure. Hypomania is not an illness or a, a negative diagnosis, but it has this energy and this uh, achiever-driven, ambition-driven kind of spirit. Yes. It's kind of like being on corporate caffeine. <laughs> it's like when you have this hypomania, you just have zest and you set goals. And, and I think... And you can't not. You cannot do it. Yes, 100%. I call my achiever in me my divine restlessness. Because I can't sit still. Nice. I, it doesn't matter if I'm on vacation or I'm here. I'm full of energy. Like I just, I just, I'm wired that way, you know. So I kind of forgot where I was going, but <laughs> no, I love that. You know, I mean, we were talking about achiever, but you know, I do think that that entrepreneurial piece—that's a whole nother level of achiever, however, you know, and, you know, you were talking about that competitive piece too. There's some really interesting research around dashboards. Mm -hmm. Um, people are compelled to change, even if they don't want to, when they see how they're compared to other people, mm -hmm. you know, just, mm -hmm. am I above average or below average? And this can have to do with more people in your neighborhood recycle than you. Mm -hmm. I mean, it can be about the most benign topics and the second you're given a visualization around, am I better, worse, or average than other people? I mean, it literally fires up this desire to win. Mm. And across the board, I mean, mm -hmm. like it is fascinating. So I do think both of you are, you know, probably pretty close to the mark on that. How am I perceived? And, you know, yeah. and then add competition to it. And man, <laughs> so if you think about it, yeah. if you simplify it, at least in my brain, a simple brain is that there's this internal piece of driving us to achieve, but then there's an external that where it's the environment. Yeah. And, and that's where I was going with the hypomanic edge in this book. So in his research, he found that entrepreneurs not only had all this, this, hypomania, this energy to set goals and achieve. And, but he said the reason he thinks is because America is where all immigrants have come to. And who are the immigrants? They're the people willing to set goals. Yeah. They're the willing to be on a journey. They're the people willing to go the extra mile yeah. to, you know, we've been watching 1883. 
Yes. You know, oh, the, yeah. the new so from Yellowstone, yeah. right? Yes. So, you know, they're on a journey going to the West. And it shows all the different, uh, you know, pitfalls and crossing the river and snakes yeah. and, you know, all the hard things they go through. But yet there's the drive for adventure to get to where you want to be. Yes. And so that's going to produce even more achievers in our culture, especially in the U.S. Yeah, it's dreaming with individualism that it's up to you to make that happen. Mm -hmm. And it's so self-rewarding to have that happen. Like um, working for a big corporation, on the other hand, you have so many people that surround you that not only influence you, but it's so much of a team effort that brings everyone together for that success. Mm -hmm. And it's a group. And when you are an entrepreneur at first starting off or first going across the West or mm -hmm. coming off a boat, you don't know what's going to happen when you get here. It's like, all right, this is me right now. I have to make this happen. Absolutely. And you grow from there. You may have a team one day, like a lot of people do, yeah. but you never lose that though. You know, I mean, I you know. always yeah. have that accountability and that I'm going to make this happen and you mature and how you yeah utilize that or apply that intensity but yeah 100 percent, it is and, always there. and achievers do have that independence you're talking about yeah. there is that drive for independence and and achievers will most of them will tell you they they probably are better producers by themselves mm. than being on a team mm. so yeah. even achievers have to learn how to you know achieve not just for themselves but for the team it's putting all the accountability on their shoulders. And when that, when that standard's there, it's like nothing's going to stop you. Mm -hmm. I want to switch this a minute, though. We're talking about in America, achievements yes. number one. You brought up harmony mm. as a whole culture and a country. That's their number one. Mm. But they're still productive. They still have those type of people. I mean, how's that ecosystem over there work? when it's just about harmony. Mm -hmm. um, I guess that would be relative of the United States talking about becoming socialism or mm -hmm. you have to be in harmony. Mm -hmm. So what, what would that look like? Because I'm not too familiar with it. Yeah, well, first of all, the definition of harmony is that you, a person finds consensus mm -hmm. with other people. So they, they're like bridge builders. And so if there's conflict, they try to help people find what's in common with each other. Okay. So they get more done. So, so it's more about our collective teamwork oh, okay. than independence. Gotcha. It's the opposite of independence. Mm. So if you look in a lot of Eastern countries, it's very much, you know, you're, you're loyal to your family. You're loyal to the corporate uh, entity organization you're a part of. So it's about, I need to live a life that doesn't cause conflict around me. And so you, you tend to find what we have in common to get ahead together. Wow. So when you hold group, uh, groups over there to better themselves, that's already covered mm. for the most part. That's their strength. That's their strength. So you have to go in and go, okay, now you got to get a little more grit behind things. Or, I mean, what, what do you do in a culture like that to strengthen them? Because that, that's definitely beneficial to be, have that personality and everyone have it. Wow. I mean, what a head start you could get um, in business. So I will that say, characteristic. 
But then when you go in there and evaluate and go, okay, now there's how you make things really better. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what would that look my like? wife and I actually had the chance to go to China and go to Beijing. And the quick story is I was speaking to a group of Chinese uh, youth and parents. And this one lady after the meeting came up and she said, you speak in China? I said, excuse me? She said, will you come speak in China? I said, "Mm, yeah, maybe. And so we started talking and her her family, she had a brother back in Beijing, China that is an entrepreneur and her dad was like this, uh, he was like the guru of Chinese psychology in the university. Oh, wow. So anyway, they put together uh, two weeks for us, and I I taught strengths for the very first time to entrepreneurs in China. So cool. So I I gave two different workshops, and you're talking about seeing the difference in our cultural perspectives. Yeah. So I'm going to tie it in with what you were saying that you know, from their perspective, it's it's about collaboration, it's about loyalty, it's about humility. Even though, because we had these deep conversations while we were there, in that culture, it was like you save face by being humble. Right. Yet, I, I had a couple of the Chinese folks I was working with tell me, but we think we're smarter than you. <laughs> ah. Interesting. So it's yeah. external humility. Yes. <laughs> not really like deep sea. Yes. Now That's I'm not saying everyone is like no, that no, no, in no, China. No, of course not. Yeah. But these couple of Chinese yeah. would say, no, we we think we're smarter. It's just we've been taught to be humble. And so, so That's rubbing salt in the womb. It hurts. It's like, yeah. <laughs> so they have that little bit of competition, mm-hmm. that little drive to, you know, exceed. It's just that you do it. Um, it's not as outward. It's not as outward. Yeah. yeah. That is so fascinating. I love it. So I want to switch gears really quickly because one of the things that I found when I first came across strengths and then when we've introduced it to people is the aha moment. Mm. You know, I mean, you touched on it a little bit earlier where people might be, might come pretty close on, you know, maybe one or two, you know, they might call it whatever they call it, but they'll be close to what their stri- natural strengths are. And recently we had a friend and there was um, some really negative cultural changes happening mm. in his company. And so he was having to think through a dramatic change. Do I leave? What do I do? And was really his confidence was starting to erode and just when your job is wrapped up in part of your identity, which I can relate to, I've so been there. I mean, it will really take the wind out of your sails. And so one of the things when we were meeting with him and just trying to be encouragers, we had him take his strengths finder. Mm. And it was so fun because there's two things that I've seen happen. um, But specifically with him where you look at him and you go, Okay, yeah, that makes sense, right? Like, I should have known that. But then when you start to dive in them and you realize, and you read the descriptions and you realize not everyone has those, oh my gosh, it's so fun. And one of his was competition. And 
It was so fun to dive into. We kind of knew about that one. How well we suspected, but he didn't. And to name it, wow, to name yeah. it as a strength that he then leaned into, and all of a sudden could realize why he wins, where he wins, what what things are happening in his environment where he is most excited, most on fire, most successful. I mean, it was profoundly fun, exciting, gratifying, you know, to watch him go through. And I mean, we've seen that numerous times. I think it's incredibly important, you know, for people to be, for that mirror to be held up, you know, and saying, no, what you're looking at, this is special. And you, you need to come up with the proper way to look at yourself. And it's not through a lens of weakness, mm. you know, and deterioration, you know, I mean, it's the opposite. I just love it. So mm. exciting. I Great think, story. I think also it was, um, cause he was in the same profession for a long time. And, um, I get really how this would relate to hiring a new employee for a new role, finding their strengths, their weaknesses, well, mainly their strengths. Um, but bringing that light to that, the rut he was in at the time and it brought up all the positive things he had to uh, attribute to his job and it was like oh wow it was refreshing to go oh i know what i'm good at hmm. this is why i do what i do besides what got me down at this moment in life you know everyone has their ups and flows uh mm -hmm. not just with business personal whatever it may be but to wa watch that light go off on in, in his eyes and go yes. Oh, now I know who I am. I know how I got here. Yes. And, and that was a neat for him to revisit that. I think one of the most um, interesting things about your coaching style specifically um, is you will help people name blind spots. Like you've done it for me numerous times where you bring this really deep listening. So, yes, you've got insights based on, you know, the profile and, you know, how, what the results came back from the assessment. But that has been interesting being around you where you'll say, why do you think you're doing that? Or, you know, and you're leading me towards something that you can see, you know, and it's that thing that I didn't see, you know, I mean, whether it's leaning too far into a certain strength or um, the language I'm using um, that I'm telling on myself, you know, but I can't hear it, yeah. you know, and I think that's been interesting. Do you think, that's, I mean, it's probably obvious. I mean, that must be colored by having been a minister and a counselor prior to strengths. But, you know, talk a little bit about that. Like, how are you able to see things that people themselves can't see? Like, why is that true about you? And like, can people learn how to do that for their team and for other people? Well, this story and, and both of what you've been talking about with this, this uh, man who discovered his competition is, is a strength, not a weakness. Most of us have what I call strengths blindness. We, we don't see our own strengths or we don't value what we know about ourselves as strengths. We think they're character flaws or weaknesses. Mm. And I'll actually say when I, that was probably one of my biggest ahas is actually learning about my competition. Because the, the piece that I didn't realize about competition was there is a natural tendency for people with competition to compare. So if I'm, if I'm playing tennis, I'm comparing 
my forehand to your forehand. I'm comparing my volleys, my serve to you because I need to find a strategy of how I can win yeah. this point and win this match. And it's not only in sports, it's in business. And so, you know, even businesses, we, we look for, we compare, you know, how is my podcast to someone else's podcast? How is my book to someone else's book? You know, how is my marriage to someone else's marriage? And so I think there's unhealthy comparison where it takes you down a negative spiral that is not good. But with people with competition, when it's mature and it's refined, they have heroes that they aspire to be like and to exceed. And so they find a hero in business or a hero in marriage or a hero in podcasting. And they're like, how can I be like that and even better? And so that's a piece of the, of the competition. But we need that coaching and feedback from others. Like you said, you said, I, I, we suspected he probably had competition, right. but he didn't see it. Right. That's that blindness. Yet after the assessment, then all of you could start to talk about what you could see. In yes. Him. Yeah. Yes. And that's what this tool does. Yeah. So how did you back up and kind of run through your life of how you got into this and how you got so passionate about this one thing and just made it everything you do now. Um, you know, it sounds like you've done a lot of things and, you know, from what, a psychologist? Uh, <laughs> go ahead and let me hear it. <laughs> Shoot. You know, I guess uh, I was 17 and I was in my youth group and I remember I'd already had an experience with God. I was very fortunate and blessed that um, I was 12 when I really had a major experience with God. Well, you're lucky. I, yeah, took, that's incredible. Yeah. It helped. I mean, yeah. I, I had, and I didn't necessarily grow up in a church family. Oh, really? No. So that's what's so incredible is, you know, my grandmother, when I was really little, she would talk about God. And I, she would took me to church, you know, a few times, like when I would go and visit, you know, during the summer or something like that. And so I was drawn to God. And but anyway, when I was 12, I, that's when I really asked God into my heart. And when I was 17, now the cool thing was between 12 and 17, I was, I was a baby Christian, you know, and making very unwise choices as a teenager. And I had this, this, this group of girls. There were five sisters in our local church. And very godly family that, you know, church going family, her mom and dad. And, and so they basically discipled me as a teenager. Wow. Yeah. And so when I was 17 in the youth group, we were going to do a now You're talking about temptation. Okay. Keep going. Good Lord. Different podcast. I had to fight the temptation yeah, yeah. word. <laughs> But they had cousins. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you too. I'm sorry. I like that rabbit. That's a good yeah, rabbit. Yeah. Um, and so in the youth group, we, they, the church had asked us to lead a service. And so we were trying to, 
you know, put together, like, who's going to preach? Who's going to, you know, sing? Well, they sure didn't elect me to sing and lead <laughs> worship. But if they did elect me to preach. And, you know, I remember preaching my very first sermon, like, at 17 years old. Wow. And it was like, I'm meant to do this. It was like God speaking to my heart. I'm calling you. I didn't know how, but I just heard God calling me to help people. Again, I didn't know how. So first of all, the first part of my life was more like helping people spiritually to learn to connect with God and grow in God's word and discipleship. So, I mean, that's everything that I trained. Everything I did was all about that up until probably around mid-20s. And then after the mid-20s is I had a painful experience in the church. I was a pastor, and it was a small church of about 100 people. But I was too much for the elders, or at least for mm. a couple of the elders, too much in what I believed. I was too passionate. I was. Uh, you too, come across too strong for yeah, like, too strong. Yeah, I could see like the youth will be more adaptable to that. Okay, and so I, and even what I was teaching and preaching was you know kind of on the cutting edge. It was pushing our beliefs. Okay, you know to go stronger, like even you know helping the poor helping addicts and so it was I was just radical in that I was willing to take the gospel it was nothing immoral or unethical it was just that I was pushing the vision you're uh, on fire yeah I was very on fire yeah and, and I was probably an obnoxious on fire mm -hmm. uh, for a period of time I was I own it uh, I was raw and yeah. I pushed you know people away probably being too dogmatic and you know and that's a different strength than me called command mm -hmm. that's number four for me so hmm. that's that take charge you know speak boldly and anyway they fired me ouch wow they fired me so everything that built up to then it, it, from being 12 years old got taken away from you Exactly. And you thought you were doing the right thing the entire time. It was them, not you. Oh, yeah, I took man, some. I did that... take some ownership out of that, um, but it still was so much pain. So yeah. just think, yeah. if you felt called to do something, yeah, and you trained and you gave everything yeah. towards that, mm -hmm. and then here you are, you know, married with two little toddlers. And you're in a different state than you've ever lived away from your family. And it was probably one of the most broken times in my life for sure. Because I absolutely was just demoralized. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. I just felt like, you know, where do I go? What do I do? Is, is this still real? I never lost my faith in God. Right. So that continue to go strong so basically I pivoted and you know went to start working on a master's degree in counseling psychology and it was kind of like the next best thing 
how long, me. How long did that take you before you decided, well, I'm just going to go get a master's rather than maybe I'll find the right church for my personality? Did you flirt around with that idea? Yes. Yes, yeah. I did. Because I didn't just immediately like leave ministry. I... But I did like, okay, I think there was a part of me, like, I do have to make a living. Yes. So I worked construction. I, I started working. I, I know what it was. I started working in a couple of uh, youth shelters. So I was helping, like, with, uh, you know, youth shelters. I, I was, so I was doing counseling-type things, and I worked at a alcohol and drug abuse center. So that's what I had to do for a living without any real training at that point, just to get going. And even while I was working on my master's, I was still pastoring a church on the side. So I had another church after that. Okay. And the same thing happened. (gasps) Oh, my goodness. And the same thing happened after about a year. And so it was, again, like there was, you know, like maybe... 90% 90% of the people are like very motivated, driven. They enjoyed what I preached and taught, you know. But there's that one or two elders that are like, Brent, you're taking it too far. And uh, they said, we're going to ask you to leave. So after that, uh, it was clear that maybe my strengths weren't the best fit in a church environment. And that's when eventually I launched my first uh, private practice as a counselor. And then I started learning about business and entrepreneurship. And of course, that just started flourishing inside of me. And, and the counseling practice turned into very successful, you know, to 13 different counselors, a business partner, five locations. Wow. So it was. God blessed it. And that was the first time that I'd ever made as much money as I did doing what I love. That's awesome. Were most of your clients from the church or from churches or faith-based? Definitely a percentage. So I had a lot of pastors that would refer to me and some clients would come out of the church who knew me. But then I started learning how to market. I started learning how to build my business. And so I was, you know, God was just blessing. Like we had contracts with, you know, uh, federal contracts doing drug abuse counseling. And we had contracts with the uh, boot camp, uh, like, you know, helping kids. Like, again, so there's always that youth element. Yeah. You know, I was always able to be connected to helping down and out youth and down and out people. And so that's that radical piece. I really think I, I was okay to get dirty, you know, and help roll up my sleeves and help people with HIV, help yeah. people with addictions, help people with, you know, homelessness. And so it gave me a, a place to do that as a counselor and I got paid well. That's amazing. Why do you think that it always brought you back to that youth, the, the ones with the most struggle? I, I know it could be they're the most influential long term about how you can make a change in that. But it sounds like that's been through what, two decades now that you're, you went 
oh, I'm just going to keep going back to that. Everything just pushed you back to that. Yeah, I'm not sure I've even made that connection before, Kyle. So that's a great observation. Mm. And maybe it's my energy. You know, it's it's that energy because if I I use I usually say if I had to sum up my life in one word, which when I do workshops, a lot of times, if we don't have a lot of time for introductions, I'll say what one word best describes you. So my one word is zest. Definitely. That's That's a good word. Yes. Yeah. And so I had, you know, for some people, it's way too much energy. (laughs) and even for my wife early in the morning you know over 37 years she's told me don't be so happy and don't try to be so energetic talking to me in the morning and so I've learned I go in my man cave have my quiet time my coffee and she does her time and then after about an hour and a half, then we start coming together. <laughs> an hour and a half, I love I, it. I don't know how zesty I am in the morning, but I, oh morning's my definitely my time mm-hmm. by he far. He bounces and like a kangaroo out of bed. And I have, <laughs> I am the one that people point the finger at about energy. And I'm like, yeah, you got to meet my husband. You do have Holy a lot of energy, cow. but mine in the morning, if we wake up, get out of bed and say we're going to go to the gym and are out the door within 15 minutes. Something will click in my head. I'm like, wanting to talk. She goes, my mind's not even focused yet. Just get, can you wait 30 more minutes? He doesn't want to talk. Like, and I'm like, what do you mean we just woke up? Like, this is the best time. Like, my mind rested all night. What have you been doing? Well, he's yeah. not like, how did you sleep? I have no idea. Like, yeah. He, how are you feeling? Good morning. He's like, okay, so I was thinking about that thing at work yesterday. Or he'll go, Okay, so I was listening to the Joe Rogan podcast in this piece of data around the vaccine, it. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And this is at 4.17 a.m. in the morning. My teeth aren't even brushed. And he is all in. I'm like, oh, good Lord. So I totally, yeah. totally get where Rhonda's coming from if you are bringing that kind of intensity and zest. And, and, if, and if you think about it, that's that word hypomania. Or hypomania. Okay, maybe I have a little bit of that. Um, <laughs> Hypo definitely. And and there's strengths that play into that. So I wonder where even achiever is in your top ten or your full thirty-four. If because people with high achiever do have a lot of energy and zest more than most people. Oh yeah, we gotta go back and look. I know. Uh A few stuck out um before. I don't know where achiever Mm, We'd have to look again. But there's other strengths that can have high energy as well. So it's not just Achiever, but that's just one of them. So so your practice, then what? I'm like so intrigued by this. Well, uh, and I know because. taken so far. And I'm intrigued because Kyle called out the fact that, you know, you were really adept and willing, had a zest for helping really broken people, Mm -hmm. people that, I mean, just were really, really struggling. But interestingly enough, later you end up serving entrepreneurs. You make another huge, huge shift. So yeah, where did that come from? How did that come about? Because you were successful and you were L-I-V-I-N, you know, like doing your thing. <laughs> I'm not sure what that is. <laughs> oh, living. Yeah. Okay, living. L-I-V-I-N. All yeah. right. Matthew McConaughey. That's right. <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah, that that is a, a another, I think, repurposing that happened in my career is once our uh, counseling practice really took off and grew and 
the thing that started to happen was my my business partner wanted to go a direction in counseling that was different where I wanted to go. And so I was already doing quite a bit of employee assistance program speaking. So I'd always been a speaker even since 17 years old. Mm-hmm. So that's always been a part of my career. Even as a counselor, I was doing a lot of public speaking and virtual training and on-site training. So it was really that I started learning about the coaching movement, uh, the professional coaching movement. You know, I know a lot of people just call themselves a coach and they have no training or background or anything. So that is kind of a pet peeve of mine. Yeah. I won't chase that squirrel, but oh, good Lord. Yes. And as a professional counselor already, you know, had the ethic that, you know, if you're going to be a coach or call yourself a coach, you need the training, you need the, the background because coaching, professional coaching is different than therapy. It is different. And because I was getting to the point that I didn't just want to help people survive. You know, it's like counseling was helping people survive. Mm, yeah. yeah, I see, I see that. Yeah. Yes. And I was, you know, growing in the strengths movement, growing in positive psychology, growing in my understanding. I wanted to help people thrive. And you know, I, I was seeing my own life thrive. You know, so I was on the own I was on that journey of thriving, you know, going from barely making probably $20,000 max as a pastor, you know, to making six figures. And so, and it wasn't just money. It was about, you know, how to live the life of your dreams and design your life. So my mastermind, business mastermind, helped me to start transitioning from a therapist to a professional coach. That's awesome. And so making that transition, I had to get off of, uh, you know, insurance contracts. I had to, you know, I started changing my pricing structure. I started, you know, building a niche as a strengths-based coach. And that's really when Gallup found me. So I think I'd learned a lot about marketing, which obviously is your expertise, And I just learned it on my own through, you know, masterminding and reading books and things like that. And so, yeah, I think that took me to a new leap when I was able to make that transition. It took me about two years, two full years to go to, you know, in my community, I was known as the therapist, right? So I had to rebrand and no one even knew what a professional coach was back then. Wow. So that's been the journey since then. Okay. Really quickly. I feel like I skimmed over just nodding ferociously a minute ago when you said there's a big difference between a coach Mm. and a therapist. (laughs) Will you go ahead and just kind of 
go a little bit past the surface, like scratch the surface for us on like, what do you mean? Because of all people to be able to speak to this, I mean, you've been certified on both sides of the aisle. You have deep experience in both. You've coached coaches. (laughs) You have mentored other counselors. So, I mean, you are well suited to be able to speak to this, you know, in a really coherent, non-judgmental way. So what do you mean when you say that? Well, first of all, counselors are gifted and needed in today's world because I do know that there are true mental health problems, Mm -hmm. whether it's depression or anxiety or bipolar disorder or addictions. These are real problems. And so they destroy lives and families. And so counselors are like the ER doctors for mental health. They are like the safe place where people can open up about their real SHIT mm-hmm. and, and handle it and make it safe for people. And you got to be able to handle pain and trauma and abuse and tragedy as a counselor. So you got to have a lot of skill to do that. And counselors, many of them are trained. There's different schools of thought, but many of them are trained to be able to go deep into emotional wounds. And they're trained also to be able to, to look backwards at people's history. And that's the part that is different with coaching. Coaching is more about going forward in your personal and professional life. So, which is interesting. I I hadn't even thought of this before, but so in my full 34 strengths, context is like low for me, which people with context love history. I don't like going backwards. I don't like talking about the past. I have futuristic high in my top 10. Yeah. I like, what would you love to do with your work? What would you love to do with your health? What would you love to do with your marriage? What would you love to do if you could change the world? I mean, so I'm wired that way. So I think that's another reason that I was able to make that leap. And now, you know, I'm helping executives and organizations uh, around the world and I'm not only helping them with the business side and the people development side of their, but many times they have these personal things going on too, whether it's marriage or kids or anything else. And I can help coach with perspective without going into the weeds. That's for the therapist. Yeah. The therapist goes in the weeds and there's a place and need for that. And the coach is able to, you know, help high-functioning people already to function even better. Hopefully that helps. Well, that's a great explanation. I want to piggyback on that question because I, I was thinking the same thing. Let's dive deeper into it, but in a different way. And I don't know if this applies or it doesn't. But back when you were preaching... You know, there are many reasons people go to churches and what they get out of it. And um, when you were preaching, was it to abstract the pain and try to fix their pain when you were preaching? Or was the 
energy of why they didn't like it is because you were telling them you're worth more and you're mm. preaching as a coach. Which philosophy did you have when you were preaching, and did that influence why it didn't quite work out? Mm. Yeah, that's or great. have you thought about that yet, or that's, is it's it an a insightful thing? question, Kyle? And I think it's both. I think yeah. I was able to, like in my preaching, I would talk about depression. I would okay. talk about addictions. I would talk about abuse. I would talk about physical violence. I would talk about, you know, I'd bring up real life pain. But yet, I was also talking about how can you be free of this? How can you, what is God calling you to beyond this? So it's it's that kingdom living, you know, that you know, Christ came that we might have life and have life yeah. more abundantly. Yes. And so that abundant life, you know, some people aren't ready for that message. Right, right. That's what I was thinking of the rebellion that they may have had. Of uh, It's easy to show up and listen to things you're used to hearing, mm. especially at church. Or, or to listen to messages that you feel are validating mm-hmm. you as a good person versus mm-hmm. calling you out in areas that you maybe need to mature spiritually or grow. Mm-hmm. I mean, if that is in conflict with how you see yourself, yeah, people ain't going like that. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Or talking about uncomfortable things in somebody's family that they don't want to come to light, you know, I mean, you know, and having to hear that I can imagine a lot of different hidden pains and, you know, flaws that, you know, Mm. people would just not be comfortable with going into that space. Mm. You know, you just brought up a memory that, you know, I'd always been baffled when I was fired from my first church. And I didn't know why. I really didn't put it together. I don't really know why. Because, like, let's say there's seven elders. Six of them, like, loved me and wanted me there. One of them, who was the one who wanted me to come the most in the beginning, was the one that wanted me to leave the most at the end. Mm. He had passed away many, many years after that. And I was doing some soul searching, trying to understand myself better, especially my strengths, from a strengths perspective. And I knew his daughter and, and her husband. They were very close friends of ours at that church. And that was her dad, the elder that we had the falling out. And I found her number somehow. And I called her up. Wow. How many years has gone by at this time? Uh, probably 20. Wow. Okay. Probably wow. 20. And so I called Ann. She was willing to get on the phone with him. She was excited, you know, and, he, you know, her dad had passed away. And and I, I told her, I said, I, you know, I'm learning more about myself, especially from a strengths perspective. And I said, I, I'm trying to understand, you know, which of my strengths maybe I was overusing and not using properly back then as a 20-year-old minister. <laughs> I mean, I was 20 years old. I'm not very wise or experienced yet in life, you know. And 
you know, I told her a little bit about strengths and I told her my strengths so she could kind of listen and try to, you know, give me some feedback on it. But the main thing she said in her own words is she said, I think you were too over focused on your own vision and direction you wanted to go. And you were too stubborn to, to, you know, grow or, you know, loosen that up. And then it's like, ding, 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 ding. You know, I'm like, focus is my number one strength. And you were only focused on your goals and not the churches. Wow. As a collective. I was, I would say it this way. I was, I was immature in over-focusing where I believe the church should go versus being more patient and allowing more development to happen naturally and organically. I was trying to change the church too fast. I was going too fast. That's a tough battle, though. I was um, going to say, and I think it's probably a really common one, that a lot of leaders in a lot of different spaces and environments probably face because you've got this achiever thing, you know, that is so integral to culture, you know, and people, goal setting, and there's so much messaging around what you should accomplish. And then you hear stories about relentless visionaries and, you know, mm. people that don't settle and to heck with compromise. And, you know, you hear this kind of messaging about what it takes to succeed. Um, it, you know, and, and yes, like there's the Christian beliefs and all of this other stuff, but man, it can be really complicated. And you see this a lot with the difference between driving a vision versus, or, and it feels like versus building consensus, building flexibility and space for people to come alongside of you, you know? And like, I think, you know, instead of a yes and, yes, you can and should do both, I feel like it can feel like an either or, you know, that you have to be which all out there or not. Which pastors, you know, truly talented, gifted pastors are like a shepherd. They actually have that ability to slow down with the flock and mm -hmm. not go too yeah. far ahead. Yeah. And I don't think that was my talent yeah. or strength. I think my strength is being more of an independent, visionary speaker coach. You know, uh, if you want to listen, come on. And But I don't have to necessarily wait on a big group. Yeah. And so, good or bad, that is you know, who I am. And so I attempted to see it as a strength because when you look at my strengths, I have like five dominant influencing strengths. So there's four domains of leadership. Influencing is one of those. Executing is the other. Relationship building. And then strategic thinking. So I'm influencer. So I'm more about like how can I motivate, catalyze, influence other people, and then move on to the next group. 
you know, so almost maybe more like an evangelist. Yeah. Uh, possibly. Yeah. And, you know, so, and that's, I'm a, I'm a strength champion. So I, I'm a, I'm championing and evangelizing, you know, strengths uh, in the world now. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's so that's exciting. Um, so when you are getting out of your practice um, and separating from your business partner and it, it took you two years to really develop, I guess, your, your marketing plan mm-hmm. per se, how long did it take you to really get it off the ground to where you're like, okay, I'm really making a living at this rather than, oh, I picked up a gig over here. When's the next one coming? Right. Yeah, it didn't take long. Really? I mean, it, God blessed it. You know, as yeah. soon as I launched the full-time coaching business and practice, you know, like I said, Gallup wasn't even certifying any strengths coaches at this point, independent ones. And because I actually had strengthsfindercoaching.com and <laughs> built a whole niche around strengths-based coaching. Nice. And when Gallup was finally deciding to create a training program and certification program for independent coaches, they actually called me. They found me online, you know, from my online presence in Google presence. And I was already getting clients, you know, and people were buying StrengthsFinder codes from me all around the world. Before they're backing. Yes. That's awesome. Yes. So they needed you. Oh, well, well, you could, you could say that now. Well, (laughs) (laughs) I like to, yeah, yeah. yeah. I created (laughs) (laughs) They had a good idea. I just took it to another level. They needed the first one willing to pay them to Mm. become a Gallup certified strengths coach and to be a voice uh, to, you know, inspire others to follow. And so they did actually, they chose me plus about 10 other people from around the world to be on a, a strength council. And this is while they were designing the program. And so I got to be on the ground floor with everything, you know, helping look at the designing of it and everything. And then I was in the very first cohort with seven of us in that cohort. And so finished that training, become, and yes, I had competition number five. So I wanted to be the first. You were out know. certified. That's right. <laughs> and I had another friend. She has a high competition as well. And she was in that cohort. And so Sarah and I were, we kind of had this little fun, you know, like competition between us, like who's going to get there first? Uh-huh. Because you had to do certain things. You had to, you know, coach so many people, get an evaluation. Well, I already been doing it. So I was like, Bam, I finished it, you know, quick and um, got the certificate, you know, first Gallup certified strengths coach. And now there's over 15,000, 20,000 wow, Gallup 15, certified coaches 000. around the world. You know, you brought up uh, 27 million people mm. have taken this. And I was just thinking, I go, really, that's not a very big number. Considering mm. the workforce, how long it's been around, how people evaluate themselves either um, through someone else or by them doing research on their own. And I'm like, that's really not a lot of people. There's so much more room mm-hmm. for this to um, really take over mm-hmm. uh, and, and become a culture, especially mm-hmm. in the business world. And Gallup actually had the goal, it still has the goal, of one billion people okay. knowing their strengths around the world. Okay. And one million Gallup certified strengths coaches. Wow. 
Wow. That's their vision still. Yeah, that's that's obtainable. I mean, I love your spirit. No, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah we're, I think we're it is attainable. They hit 11 billion people in what 2050 or something. I saw yeah. the graph. Yeah. Um, and think about how that. And Donald Clifton, who invented Strengths Finder, who's a psychologist, I, I think he and I actually had some. I feel a kindred spirit with Donald Clifton. He's passed away now. Did you and ever get to meet him? I never got to meet oh. him. Oh. I met his son. Oh, yeah. uh, Is he in the same? He, he took on his father's passion as well? Oh, or? yes. Yeah. Uh, it's a family-owned business, Gallup, now. So oh, okay. his son, Jim Clifton, and his daughter, Jane, it's a family-owned consulting business, I did Gallup. not realize that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah How about yeah, that? Yeah. And then the grandson is Tom Rath, who also wrote StrengthsFinder 2.0. And so I've met all of them. You know, I, I know them. And so... Donald Clifton, though, his vision was that what would the world be like if everyone knew their strengths and lived their life around strengths? I love that. And that's part of what I feel God is calling me to now, is yeah. to keep championing strengths around the world. And my tagline is so that you can grow stronger, work smarter, yeah. and live richer. Well and oh, wow. Make this world a better place. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I love that. And you, um, speaking of how applicable this is, you know, and why there is so much room to grow, you were the one that encouraged me to have our teenage boys mm. take their strengths mm. finder right around the time that they were 15, 16. Mm -hmm. And it was transformational in mm. how I have been able to communicate that with them and understand where they're headed. But one of our sons in particular, you might remember this story, um, he is very lighthearted and floaty and goofy, and that is the persona that he plays all the time. Kind of like you? <laughs> he, yes, actually, we joke. It's funny. We joke that he got the weirdest aspects of both of us. I mean, we're always like, well, bless your heart, Lord. You, We've out got a lot of quirky, and you got it all. But Gal's about to say he yeah, has a tendency to sit back and say, "Well, I'll let anyone believe what they want about me." Yes. Watch this, though. Yes, it, she won't tolerate that. Well, everyone I can see know, you doing that. Well, yes. yeah, I can sit. Up, that's, yeah, <laughs> yes. I guess that's where he got that. <laughs> He's outing you on that one. <laughs> I knew it would come up sooner I or later. Know, exactly. <laughs> All of a sudden, the table's turned over. Here, he's asking me to <laughs> put me to, on the hot mic. To Kyle's point about that sitting back, I mean, he would just allow people to put whatever persona on and then he would play that one and that suited him just fine. Mm. And so we took, you know, I, I took each one of them out to lunch or ice cream or whatever they wanted at the time. And, um, you know, in Austin's, his top one was communication. Mm. Now he is our quietest at home. His mm. brothers are always over talking him. I mean, it's ridiculous. Even though communication is high. And, and I, yeah. when I got his results, I literally almost fell out of my chair. I'm thinking, number one, thank God, at least one of my kids got communication. Like, yes. But then I was so surprised, like out of all of them, you know, and the other two are very confident speakers and they like to lead and all of this. And so to see Austin's communication, then he had analytical in his top five. And I, I can't remember all of them, but I mean, I'm looking at this combination going, what? Who? Like, what? This is him? So I say to Austin, so your top one was communication. Are you surprised by that? Brent, in front of my eyes, this child changed. And just immediately, 
Shoulders back was like, actually, mom, no, not at all. I'm always the one clarifying communication, helping people to understand, making sure they understand one another. And he was so eloquent, eloquent and could nail down and give me a dozen examples wow. of how he's an amazing communicator. And this is how the kid that has been refusing to communicate because he just plays along with whatever. And we just learned so much and was able to speak to it. And, you know, right. he, he has strong influencer in his. And so, you know, we had to have a conversation about influence versus manipulation. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's that raw because, to refined. That yes. was a big deal. Oh, raw to refined. Is, I love um, that. But it was, it was amazing to be able to have these conversations. So what is your perspective, Kyle, yeah. on your son and communication? No, um, I see it now, but he didn't have to do that at home. He knew his brothers. He knew us so well. He's just like, and that was one way he could always get his way is because he could manipulate us through knowing what everyone <laughs> thought already. It, it, it was weird to look at it that way. I went, oh my God. He can manipulate by a, being quiet? Oh yes. yeah, because he, he and then communicate just the right amount of information. Tell you what you wanted to hear? Yep. 100%. I went, oh, okay. But now, as he explained it, it was outside of the home, mm-hmm. of how he interacted with his friends, mm-hmm. his teacher, you know, all those people who saw him in a different light. And that is when we're like, oh, now we know why you're the communicator. Now, here's a good twist. This also happens in corporations and workplaces. What do you mean? Someone has a strength. And the corporation doesn't even know it. The organization doesn't even realize it. It's a hidden talent. It's an undeveloped talent. The culture keeps that person from thriving in that particular strength. For whatever reason, in the family culture, your son wasn't expressing fully that particular strength. Right. Outside in a different culture around school, and he was. So think about how that happens on people's teams and organizations. That's profound. Because you think about how often people are struggling to get top talent and attract top talent, but to think that the exact person that they're looking for is already in their organization, um, and they just need some light shed on how to develop them, what's possible how to strengthen their teams. Wow. I mean, that's crazy. And man, a person like that's eventually going to leave. Yes, exactly. Because they don't feel valued. Yes. Or, I mean, even if they're sitting in their own blind spot, they're just, the frustration is going to come up eventually because they're not in their lane. And notice how when you had, first of all, the assessment, and then you had a language to talk about it with your son, then you were able to have a deeper conversation uh, about his, his talent. Yes. So when you go into these corporations and you hold a workshop, you, you hold it for the whole company at that point at times? I know you probably do individual Doesn't as well. Both. No, it, um, when you do it for the whole company, how long does this process take? Like how many, is it one full day where you sit down or is it you know a three-day period where they bring in say multiple speakers maybe and and make you part of that how's it how's the process yeah i have different uh, programs and packages that i do you know i've had some companies that purchase like a a year-long training program okay and so we can do like 
101, 102, 103, 104, you know, one a quarter. And we may, you know, combine some executive coaching, uh, professional coaching along with those training. But each training goes deeper in the application of strengths. So you might be applying it to teamwork. You might be applying it to leadership. You're applying it to being better coaching managers. And then I have other packages where it's, it's really kind of a one-off. And so it's coming into a company and doing a, maybe a two- to three-hour workshop. And maybe it's for their managers or the executive team. And so they're experiencing their strengths and discovering their strengths for the first time. Oh, wow. Um, I know you brought up how many books have you written? I know you've written. Yeah, I think seven. Seven? Okay. <laughs> seven. When was your first one, and when did you know it was the right time to write it? Hmm. So when I was transitioning from a counselor to a coach, I was already very involved with Toastmasters. For 10 years straight, I was in Toastmasters. And one of the projects we had, we had to do a leadership project in order to get your DTM distinguished Toastmaster. And that's when I started my blog. This was like 2005, somewhere in there that I started my first blog. And so over writing that blog, you know, two to three years, I took all that material and wrote my very first book. It came out in 2007 called Balance Matters, How to Turn Burnout into Balance. Oh. And so it really, you know, it had that, it had a lot of stories in there, but it, it also, it was all about wellness. It actually fits today's time and what we're going through with well-being tremendously. In fact, I'm updating that book right now. Oh, nice. New cover, new, adding some fresh content to it, but the message is still relevant. And obviously now I'm going to add the strengths piece in there. So that was my very first book. Oh, wow. That is so cool. Yeah. Okay. So I do have to ask this, um, you know, there are other assessments out there and I think in general assessments are becoming more widely adopted, which I think is healthy, um, to shed light and understanding and create common language around mm -hmm. things. So how do, how does one understand you know, like which one to employ and where did they start? Because, you know, going down this path in the past, it's really overwhelming and they all sound great and you're really not sure. I mean, how are they different? How do you use them differently? So, you know, from your perspective, how's one to understand, you know, these tools? That's a good word, tools. They're all tools. And this was my specialty when I was in my graduate program was psychological testing. And so I studied it a lot. And we had to take all these psychological tests on ourselves. I wish I had copies of all of them. Right? I, I don't know where they're at now. And uh, Was there a pass-fail? <laughs> he's <laughs> he's lying. He burned them. He knows exactly yeah, yeah, where yeah, they yeah. are. Rhonda has them. <laughs> yeah, that's probably right. Yeah, yeah and so... So here's what I would say is, first of all, realize that any assessment, and I like to use assessment versus test because test means there's a right and wrong. Mm -hmm. Assessment means 
it is assessing you. But here, remember this right here, and that is that assessments don't tell us who we are. We tell the assessment who we are. So an assessment is only a tool to have better self-awareness and discussion to increase your self-awareness. And so it doesn't matter what assessment you take, it's going to potentially increase your self-awareness and you're going to be talking about it with your friends, you're going to be talking about it with your spouse, you're going to be talking about it. So the more you talk about it, the more growth and insight you have about yourself. Now, now okay, if I get on my pet peeve here for just a moment, if you're going to pick the best assessments, um, here's three things you need. Number one, there needs to be scientific research behind that assessment. I'm big on this. If there is not a good, robust research in science and data behind that assessment, it's, it's just a fun little tool. That's it. Okay? But if you're going to use something with your team or an organization or even your marriage or whatever, it, you need to research and make sure what is the science, what is the research, what's the analytics, the data, you know, that this assessment comes from. Number two, and, and by the way, I believe Clifton Strengths has the best uh, science and research behind it than a lot of assessments. Number two is it needs to be parsimonious. That's a fancy word that just means simple. And it means... I get the second one. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just, go ahead. <laughs> I love it. I'm going parsimonious. Where's my phone at? i got to Google this. <laughs> Let me look that up. Yeah. I would have just pretended like I knew. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I, the only re reason I remember that word is from graduate studies. And so when you're looking at theories and, and tools and assessments, how simple is it? How user-friendly is it? So I know some assessments that it, they are so complex and, you know, you, you get training on that assessment and you get feedback on the assessment and, and you still don't quite understand, you know, what this is and how it, so it's not user friendly. And number three, is it focus more on what is right with you? or what is wrong with mm. you. And I'm a big believer that God wants us to first of all understand how each of us were created in His image, which is what is right with us. He's already dealt with sin. The whole world, sin has been dealt with. The weakness, the mortal wound has already been dealt with. He's already given us away you know, to be forgiven. But we are being sanctified. We are walking out the growth of who we are, who He created us to be. And that means the strengths that He's wired in us. He's, we call it the sanctification of your strengths. That, you know, you're becoming more and more like Jesus. You're becoming more and more holy. You're becoming more and more of who God wants you to be by maturing this. So many assessments focus on what's wrong with us, dysfunctions. And when you know your strengths, and here's, here's the flip side, 
When you know your strengths, you know your weaknesses. Because I already shared some of my weaknesses. Yeah. You know, what happened earlier in my life. And I can give you other stories of those. But when you know your strengths, you know your weaknesses. Because you know when you overuse. But here's the cool thing. If you know your weaknesses, the other side is the strengths. And, and do you have a language for that? Do you know how you can apply that and aim that in your life, your career? You don't have to be like everybody else. You can truly be a blend and differentiate yourself and your business with how God has wired you with your, your blend of strengths. Wow. I know. Right. That was Let's, so uh, good. <laughs> I know. Uh, you know, and just the profundity of like same coin, two sides of the same coin, strength mm-hmm. and weaknesses, like just, you know, completely tied together. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Well, Brent, where can people find you? Yeah, the easiest place is brentobannon.com. And the uh, name of my company is Strength Champion Solutions. So we do workplace training and executive coaching to help champion your people like your business depends on it. Because it does. It does. It does. Don't take this the wrong way, but you are somebody who's like, all right, somebody who grew from their failures. Hmm. I mean, that is an incredible story. Like it's something to fail at. Uh, Preaching. Mm. And then come back as strong as you have from that and just know why you're really put here after that didn't work out is an incredible story well, by, in itself. It's like transforming the um, hurt into, yeah. you know, it was redeemed, you know, into your progress and the impact that you make in the world. Yeah. It's beautiful. I really enjoyed this. This is awesome. Thank you. Yeah. It's, been a, it's been a joy. Y'all have asked some great yeah. questions and... <laughs> Yeah, it made me think of things I didn't even think about. So, awesome. I am going to ask one final one because it's one of my favorite questions. And maybe this one's obvious, but I'm always surprised by the answers, actually. So just in today's day and age, you know, what advice or what encouragement would you give to people at large? It can be around any topic or anything, but, you know, what encouragement or advice would you give? Yeah, uh, you know, number one is for me is I am so thankful for my connection with God and faith. And because that faith is what enabled me to grow through my hurts and my wounds and my disappointments. And, and so in every area of my life, you know, that is my foundation and so I think in today's world, many of us have lost our faith and we don't know God. We don't have a real living relationship with Him. And it's just in the head or it's somebody else's belief. And when you have that faith, man, everything about living life abundantly is actually in that relationship and in the word of God. And so here I am going back to being a youth pastor telling you the same thing. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, and that really is the ultimate awesome. final word. I love it. So the thank you. Part again. B would be know your strengths yes. and, <laughs> and live in your strengths. Exactly. Ding. Exactly. <laughs> well, thank you again, Brent, and onward and upward. Awesome. Yay. Thanks. If you enjoyed this episode of the Corporate Caffeine Podcast, please help us help you by subscribing. I also hope you'll find us on social media. You can follow me, Dacia Coffee, and my company, The Marketing Blender, by searching us on your favorite platform or checking out the show notes for the links. We bring this to you because we envision a business world full of meaning, connection, and prosperity for us all. Until next time, onward and upward.